The following episode of Geeks and Beats contains language or subject matter that may be unsuitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. I'm, I'm turning the gain down. Is that any better? That is better. I'm still getting a fair amount of hiss, but that is better. I can fix the hiss in post. I'm 13,000 miles away. There's going to be some hiss. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It, it feels sort of like how we've got the technology where you don't have to shout, but you've always got that guy on public transit who's not on a cellular call. He's on a yellular call. Yeah, I know. Dude, just because the person's far away doesn't mean they can't hear you and you have to speak up. That's that's right. It's like people who under, who don't know how to use microphones, who scream into microphones because they don't understand that the microphone is supposed to be doing all the work. And you got a variation of that where people hold their phone in their hand as they talk into the bottom of it? Okay, I gotta tell you that here in, in Asia, people use their phones a little bit differently. For, for example, I see more people on their phones here than I do at home. And a surprising number of them use the phone the way you just described, walking around with the speaker on, yelling into the bottom of the phone, which I don't understand. That just seems to be a thing that, that I've noticed. Seems like a real douchebag move to me. I don't need to hear both sides of your conversation. No, I, I don't, I don't Hang on, let, let's see if we can merge this. Answer this call, answering this call, place your current call on hold, or you can merge calls. Let's merge these calls. Let's see what happens if we merge the call. Have we managed to, oh. Uh, I'm here. Oh, you are there. Oh, yay. <laughs> I, I didn't know whether to talk or not. I ruined the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to say, Alan is how many kilometers away did you say you were? I am 13,000. I'm in uh, a village called Ubud in the middle of Bali, Indonesia. And Kevin, where are you? Uh, I'm in a very similar place called Winnipeg, Manitoba, a small oh, village. You you sound so much further away than Alan, and <laughs> now that we know where you are, now we understand why. Because I'm using a phone, and I should be using a Skype-type thing, I think. That's the thing. I, I'm not technically good enough to sound good. All the cool kids are using the internet these days, you know, ever since they put it on computers. It scared me. Uh, I mean, uh, my, my computer's like, honestly old and not working, but if I had known that, uh, I was at a, a funeral kind of thing. I would have I left early and like taken a shower and looked good. You have to look good for that kind of phone call. That's true. That's true. You were at a funeral in Winnipeg? Yeah, well, it was more of a, I said funeral to be dramatic. It was a, um, a celebration of life kind of thing. It was a famous musician in Winnipeg, um, and, uh, the nicest guy in the world. And so all the musicians, were, they let me in. I was a comedian, and, um, uh, and um, music acts played music. Wait, wait, wait. That's, that's where I'm from. Who's the famous musician? Jerry Atwell. Oh, yes, yes. I read about him dying. That's, that's terrible. Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, so I've started, uh, I've started this with a bang. I've saddened you. <laughs> what a way to start the show. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, stand by. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Live from Studio 3B. Now with 1.2 billion subscribers on iTunes, Spotify, and GeoCities. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth featuring musical guests Sting. The kids are returning to the hall, and one of them is going back to the Rivoli. Kevin McDonald joins us to talk about his rock opera, the return of the classic sketch comedy series, and why the hell he moved to Winnipeg. Plus, Michael's got a big advance in virtual reality that has nothing to do with virtual reality. Plus, David Lee Roth's Panama package, and we're not talking about his tight pants. <laughs> oh, that, oh, God, no. Oh, yeah? Yeah? yeah. You like that? that? No. Ooh. And now 
and gentlemen, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. We got more cash in the kitty to get us to CES 2020, my friends. Uh, you know, I am so relieved about this because um, I, I, I've spent the last uh, two and a half weeks on the other side of the planet. I've been spending some, some money. Right. Well, you're not going to have to open up a wallet in any way, shape, or form for us to get the tickets to, to fly down there. We've got the hotels booked as well. And now, courtesy of the GoFundMe campaign, we have our Ubers uh, all taken care of. I think we got a, a couple of dinners, maybe, of the four nights we're going to be at CES. Wait a second, I have a question. Who's going who's to be the line producer on this? Who's going to be taking care of all the cash? That's going to be me, my friend. Might as well have the business guy be responsible for that. And might as well. So you're going to be uh, pretty, giving up per DMs and all that kind of the stuff? The whole nine yards, yeah. All right, good. I won't worry about it then. And, and, and part of that per diem is going to come courtesy of Ash Chopra, who donated 100 bucks via the GoFundMe campaign, which means Ash gets a miracle travel mug of traveling <laughs> through the miracle of science, keeps hot beverages hot, cold beverages cold, Thanks to our patron in residence, Victor Biggio, who promised that every time somebody donated 100 bucks, he would, out of his own pocket, send them one of our mugs. So, Ash, thank you for that. You know who doesn't get one? Who? James Holmes, because he only donated $99. Oh, give the guy a mug. No, no, no. He says, because his mug collection is full. Oh, okay. All right. Do you not have a shelf in your kitchen that it... That is overflowing with coffee mugs. I do. <laughs> if you're like me, and I know I am, it's probably radio station coffee mugs. Coffee mugs, and it's also travel mugs. I've got a lot of travel mugs and water bottles for, for going to the gym. So James is probably in the similar situation. So he deliberately shied away from the $100 donation because his mug collection is full. A Camapedia, who I think is how we pronounce that, Donated $25, writing in on the GoFundMe page, Feel free to skip pronouncing my name. I just want to throw some money your way for entertaining us. Oh, very nice. Well, that's, you know, uh, maybe we are doing some good. So, has, it ever occurred, has it ever occurred to you that maybe people actually do like us? No, not for a second. No, I just got a little inkling of it right, right now it's gone. Oh, is it, is it kind of like... How the Grinch who stole Christmas, his heart grew three sizes that day. Are, are you feeling the little twinkling in your heart? No, it's kind of like an itch that you get in a place that you can't scratch and then it goes away. Oh. Uh, Kama's last name is pronounced Peja. P-E-J-D-A? Would the J be silent, like like uh, Spanish? Or or, or why? Peja. Peja? I don't well, Maybe. we're clearly not skipping pronouncing Kama's name. So thank you very much for uh, helping support the big show uh, by donating that uh, 25 bucks. That will help get us to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. And anybody who donates is more than welcome to offer some suggestions as to what it is we ought to cover. Because we are now starting to get a remarkable collection of really shitty pitches. Did you get the dog one? Oh, what was the dog one? You didn't see the dog one? Uh, I, I got an email saying, hey, we listened to your podcast, and we noticed that you spent a lot of time talking about sex box and bots and items of uh, an erotic nature. Uh, we are going to present a new product at CES 2020. Uh, it's a vibrator for your dog. What? Yep. 
Check with Vanessa, our producer. She has the uh, the email. I, I don't think I want to. I, I have a feeling oh that might God. be an HR issue. I am not going anywhere near that booth. Okay, so then... <laughs> Yeah, you you beat me right out of the gate because I've been setting aside some of these ridiculous pitches that we've gotten so far, including from the company that makes your water faucet, Moen. Moen is boasting that they're redefining plumbing products. Okay. How are you I, redefining I, plumbing products? I don't know, but I need a new gooseneck for my kitchen. Yes, but because they're redefining it, water won't come out of it. It'll be something else that comes out of it. Mm, I'm, I've seen Moen faucets in the past where when you put on cold, you get a blue light. And then when you turn it hot, it turns red, like an LED sort of glow. Katie sent us a, a pitch for what if your robot vacuum both cleaned your home and protected it via HD cameras and artificial intelligence? I saw that one, too. Now, can I explain why this is important? Uh, other than the fact that we don't want to artificially intelligentsify our robot vacuum cleaners? Yes, we do, and I'll explain why. And I have a personal anecdote to go with this. I have a Roomba, a very good Roomba. And this Roomba does have a camera that allows it to see what's in front of it. However, it only goes to about three to four inches above the ground. In other words, there is a three to four inch gap uh, from the camera to the ground. So it can, there's this blind spot below it. And it can't necessarily see anything that's below three inches above its sight line. This can be a problem when you have a dog that has had to go outside, but nobody was there to let the dog out. So now you've got a Roomba that is smearing dog feces throughout your house in concentric circles. This is, uh, I can speak from, from, from experience that uh, my Roomba i960 uh, did exactly that. I, I don't think AI is going to solve that problem, my friend. I, listen, that would be the first thing that I would have the AI work on um, because I not only had to clean up uh, floors and carpets, but I also had to take the whole thing apart and clean it. Oh, I bet you did. Um, here's, here's one for you. Best of Baby Tech 2020 will rock the cradle at CES Las Vegas. Don't care. Pass. <laughs> Click next. Um, Bianca from Waydo, a futuristic electric hydrofoil called the Flying Surfboard Maker, wants to showcase their first electric foil board with the Waydo Flyer to us. Um, do you have any open body of water near you? Well, we do, I guess, like Ontario. I have a feeling they're going to have an open body of water in the parking lot. So you're going to have to bring your, your tidy whities or your, your, your what, what do they call those? The banana hammocks? Something like that. Yeah, the Speedos. The sp that's what I was looking for, the Speedo. We're, we're getting these coming through. Has anything appealed to you? Because the only one that so far appeals to me is the developers of the world's most meticulously designed and technologically advanced full-body shiatsu massage chair. Ooh. I, uh, with I, it, uh, it's got a VR component to it. Of course it does. And of course you'd be interested in that. <laughs> what could you possibly be watching in virtual reality in 3D while you're getting every limb of your body poked and prodded? <laughs> Laura DiCarlo, by the way, reached out to us. We had them on the podcast when CES pulled their Innovation Award in 2019, only to give it back to them with the human cry that followed, uh, because, of course, they came up with a female-oriented sex product. 
that um, apparently upset the prudes at CES such that they rescinded that that award only to lead to a hue and cry about it. Because, of course, as you know, and we covered it, there were male-oriented sex products there at CES in 2019. So we're going to find out what that big thing was that they got the Innovation Award for because it's now actually available. They're going to bring it down and we're going to showcase it live on the show when we're at CES. We're not going to demonstrate it. No, 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 no. We're not going to demonstrate it. No, but they're they're interested in talking to us and showing us uh, what the big hype went and the big hullabaloo was all about. Do you ever get the the, the impression that one day there's going to be a spinoff of this podcast where we do nothing but talk about sex toys and teledildonics and VR? Well, no, that'll be another one. I, I was I was I was talking to a longtime listener of the show about VR, and I said I'm really uh, apprehensive about talking about it again because it's starting to feel like that's all I ever talk about. But I, there was a there was an audio hook to it that I thought you would appreciate, and so I ran it past them because they're a, a diehard listener of, of the show, and they're like, no, 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 talk about it. It's, it, it's not going to turn the show into a VR show, and I thought you'd be particularly interested in it because I did drop. $1,500 on the on what? the world's most powerful VR headset. It's called the Valve Index. Uh, and setting aside the, the visual uh, clarity that it brings versus the previous generation, the big advance that I wanted to share with you that blew my mind was audio. The, the first version of their, their headset didn't have headphones. You had to bring your own headphones. And everybody yelled and screamed at them because the competitors all had built-in headphones. Version 2, you know what they did? Headphones. No headphones. Oh. Instead of headphones that would sit on your ears or uh, earbuds that would sit in your ears, they went with speakers that hover about an inch away from your earballs. And it has given me the most remarkable immersion in virtual reality I could have expected. I knew that the screens were better and that the screen door effect was substantially reduced and it would feel a lot more realistic visually. But the real advance in this came from the audio side of the equation with actual speaker drivers hovering next to my ears, making me feel like I was there, but not putting something up against my ears, which, you know, makes you warmer and, you know, then you fog up the lenses on the headset. But also you don't feel like it's real because you know you've got headphones on with these things just hovering about an inch away. And they're only two inch drivers. They give you a much greater sense of immersion such that I think that's a far more valuable advance in virtual reality than the visual fidelity that everybody's been talking about over the last little while. And I think the next big leap in VR is going to be in both audio you're listening to and being able to speak to the characters you're looking at in VR. All right. Well, this is your beat. You will follow up at CES. It was amazing. There's a, there's a, a game that, that has just come out where you actually walk up to people and instead of pressing A for, yes, I want that, or B, no, thank you, or C, attack, you just say what you want. And the artificial intelligence voice recognition system figures out what you're saying to this virtual character, and then the game just keeps on going. How is that for remarkable immersion that has nothing to do with the visuals? All right. Oh, okay. I, I'm Now you got me interested. All right. In the meantime... Um, we still have to get you to see Diamond Dave, David Lee Roth, at his, what do they call it? Residency. Residency at uh, Las Vegas. And I ran um, the, the thing through the Intertron, and those tickets ain't cheap. Let me just check out a residency. 
you're going to pay $240 yeah. for the benefit of sitting at a cocktail table watching a, what, 65-year-old David Lee Roth wiggle his ass? Well, hang on. Let's just go through it here. So we, we can go to the, uh, oh, there's all these different packages. Yes, and this is what I'm getting at, is is the cheapest package is 65 U.S. dollars where you stand in what I suspect is supposed to be a mosh-like pit right up front. So instead of us dropping 250 bucks, certainly not 250 bucks of the listener's money on watching Diamond Dave, I say $65, we can get bombed out of our gourds after the show is over and we've done the live show and everything's packaged away. And when we're bored of watching Diamond Dave wiggle his ass, we can just walk away because we didn't have seats in the first place. Well, okay, so there's the Panama package. which is 550 U.S., includes two tickets at a VIP table, four premium drink tickets, a $90 dining voucher for the House of Blues restaurant and bar, uh, some pre and post show access, priority access, a David Lee Roth VIP show laminate, and a souvenir retail item. So that's 550 for two. (laughs) A souvenir retail item. Uh, Yeah, T-shirt. Is that what that is? Oh, and look at this, the jump package which is $700, two tickets at a premium VIP table, a bottle of premium spirits, so we can get our own bottle of vodka, uh, foundation room prefix a dinner for two, and some other stuff. Hmm. Our ace field producer, Sean Jate, who's going to be with us at CES 2020, he too has an interest in seeing Diamond Dave. So I just messaged you earlier, as you know, saying, yes. all right, well, I guess the three of us are going to see this damn thing. Um. These tickets ain't cheap, and I, I don't know if if I want to shell out the cash. Well, you stay home. <laughs> I'll, I'll stay back in the hotel room. Stay back in the home and do some video. Yeah, you can do video edit. Exactly. I'll be the guy doing all the editing. Yeah. It certainly sounds like it's we're in for a really interesting time. Do you have any plans for the day after our January 7th, 5 p.m. local time, 8 p.m. Eastern live stream? Like, the next day, you've got the whole day to explore CES. Uh, I, I do. Um, I, I am going to be doing work while I'm there because I've been off a, a, on vacation for some so many weeks now. Um, so while you guys, I, I'm, I'm going to have to be back in the hotel room doing a bunch of stuff as well. So Nerd! I will figure it out once we get there. big fan of kids in the hall yeah i was in fact i was kind of nationalistic in my support of them because here was an ensemble comedy group that uh transcended canadian borders they started on on like uh, at the rivoli they then went to the cbc and then they became this international thing and i was very very proud of that i didn't realize that lauren michaels really gets a lot of the credit for the kids in the hall success i just assumed this was a cbc canadian thing 
No, Lauren took an interest in, in them from the very beginning, which is how they managed to transcend uh, various international borders. When you have the creator of Saturday Night Live behind you, you can do an awful lot of good stuff. With that in mind, joining us now from, of all places, Winnipeg, is 113th of the Kids in the Hall, Kevin McDonald. I'm going to ask you a question that I know Alan wants to ask you, but he's way too polite. Okay. Where the hell do you get off doing a rock opera? Yeah, I agree. Because um, I'm not a musician, right? Right. <laughs> um, uh, okay, I'll, I'll try to make this as short as possible. First of all, uh, when I was in um, grade seven in uh, high school, I was a Catholic. I am now a lapsed Catholic, and um, I, I didn't very much enjoy Catholic uh, schools. And um, until uh, they showed Jesus Christ Superstar, and um, I went to the uh, remember the VA club. You're too young. Oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah, and then I got too. to see it. I saw it a hundred times, and um, I fell in love with Jesus Christ Superstar. I like the character of Judas. It really should be Judas Superstar. It's really about him and the dilemma he has to go through. And, um, and I love that. And I love music, um, uh, but I could never play. Uh, when I was 32, um, uh, I got a birthday gift or Christmas. I forget what holiday it was. A Labor Day gift of a guitar um, that was a recommended by the uh, shadowy men. Do you know the shadowy men, Hans? Yes, yes. On yes. a shadowy planet. Yes, uh, from a shadowy planet, yes. And uh, and so I learned enough guitar to write songs, and I've been writing songs a lot. Um, you know, you, legally, you could, it's very easy to write songs. Yeah, you don't have to be a real musician. I just, whenever I play to a, like a real musician to play it, they have to come up with the riff and the segue sometimes from bridge back to chorus um, and endings and beginnings. Um, uh, I just give them a verse, a chorus, and a bridge, and they have to put it together. But I know just enough. And um, I had this story. It's a true story. And I, in my podcast, I tell stories. But this seemed kind of epic. And I, I thought, well, what if I Jesus Christ Superstar it? Because um, so, um, I wrote it for my podcast originally. So I made it um, a 45-minute rock opera. <laughs> with a, uh, again, every when I like, I go to the city. I'm like Chuck Berry. I get a different band every city I go to. And my friend Alan Piggins is uh, setting up this band. But every time I go, because I've done this six or seven times, and it always goes over very well for some reason. But they're real singers, and I hear this a lot uh, at the rehearsal. We we just have one rehearsal the night before, and this is what I hear a lot. I don't hear a melody in this song. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, just a second. I, Alan Pickett's, I think I know, I know that name. Where, where from? Alan Pickett, is that Morgan Fields? Right, okay, yes, thank you. And uh, one of the best songwriters uh, like uh, ever. I, well, like he's not famous, but he should be. He's one of the best songwriters, I, and Canadian ones for sure. And he was a brain candy. He was in the band Death Lurks. Um, he was the guy, the guitarist, with dark curly hair. If you know the movie Brain Candy. Um, yeah, uh, now uh, it's all... It's all coming back to me now, yes. Yes. But not only are you not qualified to write a rock opera, no. I've heard you sing. You're not qualified to sing either. Yeah, I know, but I do. And how is that going over? Well, uh, I get by because it's under the guise of comedy. <laughs> uh, yeah, if I, if I started a band uh, <laughs> and the songs were serious about um, my first love when I was 17, I'd be in trouble. But, it's, uh, but under the guise of comedy, it's all right. Um, every, people tell me I've become a better singer. Better. Right, because there's only one way to go, and it's up. No, not necessarily. I could, I could have gone down. I've gone down in other things. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. I've gone down in other things. But uh, no, because when you do it a lot, when you do anything a lot, you, you get better. I think it's impossible not to get better. 
Isn't it something like 10,000 hours makes you an expert at something? You know, how many hours in are you? Yeah. I think Frank Stallone got better. <laughs> okay. When you start comparing yourself to Frank Stallone, you really I, set the bar kind of... Hello. Well, that's, oh. that's how you uh, seem to be successful. You uh, set the bar really low. I'm, st I'm stepping over the bar right now, and I'm not even bending my knee. Um, you know, wow, that rock opera went great. That's uh, the bar has got to be low. I understand this rock opera is about something that happened in the early 90s in New York and Toronto between you and Dave Foley. Well, yeah, Dave was there. It wasn't between me and Dave because it sounds like a fight or something. Mm -hmm. Dave was there. I say that to make it more uh, kids in the hall sexy for people. Um, I, I don't want to tell the story, but it's a little dark and disgusting. Oh, so you're going to make us go see the show to find out what it's all about. That that seems like a bait and switch, my friend. Yeah, well, it, it, not even that. I just said, uh, like... like the good, the good thing about it is the the horrible thing that happens in it, or the horrible couple of things that happen in it. I'll say vaguely, it's about the bad relationship I had with a partner. Uh, should I say it this much? Even Who, who's in the? How popular is your podcast? We are the world's <laughs> most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. <laughs> but I'm not going to say. Uh, I'm not going to say any more other than a relationship, and then. Um, at the, at the peak of the problem with this relationship, um, uh, Dave and I go to New York um, uh, for a kids in the hall thing to be on the Jen River show, and a disgusting thing happens one night. Actually, Scott was there with us, but I wrote him out of the rock opera because um, I didn't want it to, the, the story was like already too long, but I, I gave a song, someone plays Scott Thompson where he sings a song uh, being mad at me and asking me why I didn't write him in the rock opera. Yeah, and if you included him anyway, he'd just take over the whole thing. Yes. And Scott can sing. Scott can sort of sing, uh, like if he doesn't think about it, Scott can sing. But he's not going to be there. Don't tell Toronto Scott's going to be there. That'd be lying. So this is at the Rivoli? Yeah, at the Rivoli, where uh, the, apparently we played in the 80s. No, you know what? I remember those 80s shows at the Rivoli. There was, I was at uh, CFNY, uh, still am, uh, but back then. Uh, That's why uh, you guys know Alan Piggins. Yeah, yeah, and and I remember... There were a couple of people on staff, and one of them was Liz Jack, who was uh, right. the big, the big uh, indie music person. And she she came in one day and she says, "There's this comedy troupe that has this sort of semi residency at the Rivoli that everybody <laughs> has to come and see." And that was you guys. And I remember that. So this yeah. would be eighty. This would be eighty eight, maybe. Well, uh, as well. So, yeah, I guess so. But the peak year um, was 84 to 85. That's when it was the five of us. And it was always the five of us after that. But we were there a little bit before with 13 of us. And then we, uh, the other eight, that's the right number, um, got uh, good jobs like writing comedy and stuff or Second City. So it was five of us. And that's when the, um, the kids in Hall really started. Uh, we weren't the best. We were just the, the five losers in the Hall who couldn't um, get real jobs. And then... Um, and by the end of that year, that's when we were discovered by Lauren Michaels. But then, yes, um, then we played less regularly at the Rivoli until 88 when we uh, finally got to shoot our pilot for our TV show. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm talking about. So, yeah, so you're not lying. I'm, I went a roundabout way to say you're not lying. Okay. So the, <laughs> or she wasn't lying. The, the Rivoli's not a big room. Um, no, so no, it's not a big room, but yeah, but, but don't worry. I played there last year, and the people boarding me were already having trouble selling tickets. <laughs> don't worry about that. 
Were you about to worry about that? Oh, brother. <laughs> uh, sweetheart, that's the wrong thing to worry about. No, no. Because um, I did it like last January. I did a, my one-man show, which I later did off-Broadway in New York. I, you didn't ask, but I'm name-dropping. If you can name-drop a street, not even the street. It was off-Broadway. Um, and then that was like two sold-out shows. We could got a third one. But, but this sold-out sh- uh, these shows aren't sold-out, let's say. Oh, you hear? I'll I'll go the other way. I'll lie and say I think there's a few seats left. When we arrive, what can we expect? A lot of empty chairs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, like uh, you, you said, I, uh, I'm guessing it'll be like semi-full by then. Uh, so there may be some excitement, and then uh, you'll say, "Oh, this is where they're... I remember coming here." Blah, blah, blah. Did I see Ken? And then uh, the show will start because it's only like a forty or forty-five minute. Uh, rock opera right now. I'm writing more songs. Sorry. Um, Alan Pickens and I will do an opening set of, um, I've never, I haven't timed it, somewhere between 20 minutes and 30 minutes, I don't know, of uh, other songs I've written. Sorry. Um, and then I'll bring the real singers out and we'll do the rock opera. And there, there it'll be an hour, 25, hour 30, and you can leave. No harm done. Is this a departure from Kevin McDonald, or is this a Kevin McDonald fan is going to come and find exactly what they're looking for in Kevin McDonald? <laughs> they will. They will. It, it's typical, Kevin, especially if you listen to my podcast, and it's just an extension. I've just added music to it. What the hell are you doing with a podcast, by the way? Yeah, that, that's that's my question. Let's let's plug the podcast. Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, it's semi-dead. Uh, the producers have become very successful with the other podcasts. So um, uh, they haven't even released my last two that I've done for a while. Though they're nice guys. Um, but uh, so we'll do four or five a year. But I, can, I must have like 15 or 16. And we have what the, like the Thomas Middleditch one hasn't even been released yet that we did a few months ago. Four or five a year? Well, from now on, we were doing one a month for like two and a half years. And now it's slowing down a bit. And then we tried to, there's some interest in trying to sell it to a TV show. But of course, that didn't work out. But it's a good thing. I like it. It's a variety. It's like a Jack Benny variety show up. Uh, I uh, have a different guest announcer. Uh, I have a big guest star like Thomas Middleditch or T.J. Miller. I had Mike Myers on once, um, name-dropping again. And uh, we do a sketch. I do a song. I wrote a song every podcast, which was the most fun part. Um, It's less fun writing comedy because I'm good at that, so it's harder to do. Um, I can't write songs, so that takes 10 minutes. Uh, And then I do a story. One whole podcast was this rock opera where, um, uh, uh, what's his name, from Death Cat for Cutie, uh, played Dave, Ben Gibbard. Yeah, we're relying on Alan for the answer to that. No, 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 that's right, Death Cat for Cutie. No, it's Ben Gibbard, he's a friend, I just went blank for a second. He's a friend, I'm name, dro- I'm name dropping badly, I'm sorry. That's okay, it takes 13,000 kilometers away for Alan to get the joke. Uh, a little bit of latency, sorry. Yeah. It's, sorry. Uh, so you're on a bit of a never-ending tour, we're told here. You're playing different... Bob Dylan, nor- yes. Bob Dylan, yes. Like, like, like Bob Dylan, different North American city every weekend. It, did, did you just not find any real estate in Toronto that you could buy, settle down, and, you know, get a dog? Yeah, that's sort of the... In a more colorful way, that's sort of the story. I was living in Los Angeles for uh, 15 years, and I was quite happy writing TV shows and movies that I got paid for but never shot. And, uh, and then doing guest stars in TV shows, it, it, it was fine. But then I met a, um, a woman, lovely Paula, in Winnipeg. So I moved there. Uh, there's no TV studios here, apparently. Um, <laughs> I was writing scripts for, uh, for a little while, but then people forgot about me. So now I Bob Dylan it every weekend uh, to improv theaters where I do shows at night that are half sketch. No, sorry, wrong math. A third sketch, a third um, uh, improv, and a third stand-up. 
uh, which I had to start doing. And then, uh, but during the day, I teach workshops. Hang on, back up. You're now living in Winterpeg. Yes. Why? Wait, wait, wait. I told you already. Because of a woman? Yes. Hey, There's a lot of us here that live here because of that. Okay, Kevin, we're going to have to be, we're going to have to gang up on, on Michael. There's nothing wrong with Winnipeg. It is cold at this time of year, but it's a lovely yes. city otherwise. It has, yeah, uh, yeah, and they're all Nordic here, so they all have beautiful cheekbones. A lot of us have moved here for uh, women and men. <laughs> this, is, this is very true. Um, what part of the city are you living in? Uh, River Heights, though so they teach me to be pretentious and say North River Heights. Yes, that's what you have to be. Uh, it's just a little bit more classy than South River Heights. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> which is uh, East, East, East River Heights. So tell me about the cultural difference between Los Angeles and Winnipeg. Uh, the biggest difference is the, the well, I, I'm going to say the word joke. Uh, it, I just don't have a better word. The joke in Los Angeles was that everything was 20 minutes away. The joke in Winnipeg is that everything is 10 minutes away. Besides, beyond that, it's the same. He's not, he's not wrong. Wait, what? And, we don't, we, and, you don't have, and you don't have the 405 to contend with. I don't have the 405. Uh, there's Pemina Highway. Yeah, and that's not very good sometimes. You have to wait around to get into an accident? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to line up to get in an accident. <laughs> We're very polite for Winnipeg. We, <laughs> we take our turns. I'm not a very good driver. I didn't start learning to drive until I moved to Los Angeles when I was 32. Um, wait, wait, and, you uh, learned to drive in Los Angeles? Yeah, I know. So in other words, you learned to stop. I, you know, they don't teach you parallel parking. and It's not part of the test. So uh, when I came here in Winnipeg, um, well, A, I was horrified because of the ice. And um, B, I didn't know how to parallel park. Um, Paula taught me how to parallel park uh, because I didn't know how to. But you're happy now. You, you've settled in. You've yes. built yourself yeah. an igloo. You're well to go. Yeah, yeah. Like, like it was freezing outside today, and, and I uh, had to pay in the parking lot, and uh, there was a long lineup for the parking lot machine, and um, like, there's moments of miserableness. Now, do you have a heater? Do you have a block heater? Yeah, I was about to yes. ask you, Nando, how to plug in your car. Yes, uh, yeah, and I carry it with me inside whatever I go to. <laughs> so you mentioned that, that you've been doing a lot of time writing uh, different pilots for TV shows in L.A. That, that ended up not getting produced. You're writing a pilot right now for the producer of Schitt's Creek? Yes, yes, I am. Uh, with Norm Hiscock, do you know that name? Can, can, can you ask Norm? Uh, is, is the reason why I can't watch Schitt's Creek is because of the name of the show. Yeah. As a comedian, I'm sure you can appreciate that. It's a bad pun. I, I know it's a bad it, pun. It just felt uh, too here's, easy. here's something. Have you ever thought about this? The Beatles, which is, of course, my favorite group, is a bad pun. Sure. That's a dad joke. No, uh, no that's not a joke. I'm, I'm defending uh, Schitt's Creek in a way. No, no. Well, <laughs> I'm saying the Beatles' name is a dad's joke. Oh, yeah, the Beatles name, it is a dad's joke. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, it is. <laughs> the, the, that's the most excited I got. That's what excited me in this interview. <laughs> well, you know, you're in Winnipeg. What do you expect? Yeah. Uh, but what are, you, what are you working on? How, how does this, how do, you, how do you build out a pilot? How do you write something like that? I'm fascinated by the process. Well, this producer used to be my manager 100 years ago, and um, he likes my writing, and Norm is kind of hot in writing, so... Of course, he didn't want me alone. He wanted me with the hot writer, Norm. Um, and we're a good team. We wrote, um, he, he was sort of a kid in the hall. He's one of 13 guys that, that quit before um, uh, the, it became the five of us. And he was, um, from season two to season five on our TV show, he, uh, he was like an important writer. I wrote a million good sketches with him. I think they're good. He also wrote a million good sketches with Bruce and Mark and Dave. Scott scared him. Scott scared him? <laughs> yes. I think I'm kidding.
But you know what? I was kidding. But when I said it, it sounded kind of truthful. But but give me some insight in, into that process because I, I'm 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 not writing pilots or anything like that. But I'm now in a world where I'm creating content in a way that I had never done before, and I'm looking to to flex some new muscle and build some new new muscle uh, and bulk. I wish I could. I don't know what what should I tell you? It's uh, I don't know. Uh, it's good. I like it. <laughs> it's, I I was tall for a second. It's good. I like it. I go up to the third floor of our house. Um, the view is nice outside the window. Uh, that's what the office is, and outside the window there were snow. And then um, I write, well, with lo- taking a few, lots of hours off, I basically write from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, uh, like my heroes, Patty Chayefsky and Neil Simon, they went to an office and did that. And uh, I love the writing part of it. It's the telling the producer where the idea is going part of it that's never that fun. Do you find, though, that, that you, know, you, you make that trek up to the third floor, you go to the home office, you're working away 9 to 5, I've got a similar sort of lifestyle now where my work life is a nine to five in the home office. I used to use the home office as an escape from the family, a place to go when the TV was <laughs> occupied or the living room was also occupied. But now right. I don't have any place to escape to because I don't want to go back to work. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I don't have that problem. <laughs> clearly, clearly you like the people in your house. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, of course they do. <clears throat> and they're, uh, unlike me, they're like real human beings. They're outside a lot. And so um, I quite often have the whole house to myself, but I waste it because I'm just upstairs writing. Um, I mean, I'll take a lunch break, and I'll go downstairs to the basement, where my favorite TV is, and I'll put on CNN to see how the impeachment is going, and then I'll eat, I'll finish that, then I'll go back up. Usually other things go up. Um, I have to stop writing a lot to set up my workshops, like I'm booked till June, and stuff like that, and um, I'm memorizing Shakespeare. <laughs> now we're just having a boring conversation. Uh, I'm doing Shakespeare in the Park in Florida in May, and I'm playing Malvolio on the Twelfth Night, and um, I spend an hour or two every day memorizing that, and it's it's hard. It's not fun. It's like memorizing uh, well-written gibberish. Do you adopt a British accent along the way? I swear, a British attitude. You know, um, uh, well, I'm a bad singer, as has been discussed already. You know how sometimes when you're goofing around and you pretend to sing like an opera singer, you sort of accidentally uh, hit the note and you're in the right key for the first time ever? Or, or that you, you guys have to be a bad singer to know that. I know that. Well, I'm doing that with a Shakespeare memorizing. Where I go around pretending to be Olivier, um, I actually do it better. But it's sort of <laughs> mocking it, but I do it better. Yeah. There's a, also a Netflix thing that you're working on. Explain that. Well, I can't. <laughs> it, the, uh, oh, do you mean? Um, oh, maybe you don't know that. Maybe you mean something else. We're talking Invader Zim. Oh, there's that. Yeah, that's that's on. Yeah, I can discuss that. Oh, hey, hey, hang on. Ba- put a pin in, in Zim, then. Forget that. What what is it you're working on? You can't tell us and about. It's not, and it's not it's not exactly Netflix. It's a Netflix like thing. Uh, the kids in the hall are in talks to do some kind of TV show, but that's all I can say about that because we're we've been in talks for like two months now. So who knows if it'll have the every few weeks ago, oh, it's going to happen. And then um, each of our agents are talking. So then uh, there's always one agent who says, well, what about this? Ask for this. So it would be, be another, like, Kids on the Hall show. Not on Netflix, though. All of you coming back for this, though? Yeah. I mean, people always ask me that. I'm always surprised. It's, it's not like the Rolling Stones. We're not going to get a new bass player, a better bass player. Where it's, um, it's the five of us or nothing. Uh, on the other hand, <laughs> one of us might be busy and might be on is less. 
but still, like, it'd be uh, all five as much as possible. So what would make Kids in the Hall different in 2020 versus what it was in the 80s and 90s? Well, yeah, there's a million things. Uh, the obvious, the most obvious thing is uh, we'll be older. Um, yeah. Wrinkles. <laughs> wrinkles. And uh, we've got lots of new sketches that we've written for our tours, and we'll keep writing. We're, our favorite thing is writing. Um, and we have written things like about being parents of children and stuff like that. But still, I write the odd thing where I, um, where I take my girlfriend out and we're not like I'm writing like a 20 or eight year old still sometimes because my eyes, um, they don't look at me. They think I'm 28 still. So I don't know how those sketches are going to be. Do we hire young people to play the first date scenes that we're still writing? Mm. What's the question? Huh? What's what's fascinating about the kids in the hall for me is that you guys have such an enduring legacy. I was watching uh, Family Guy uh, not too long ago, and, yeah. and Peter Griffin dropped a, a reference to Kids in the Hall. Really? Yes. Yes. Wow. It was one a good of the writers but... was a uh, was a roommate. Um, uh, what's his name? Ricky something. He became a famous writer. He sold a TV show and the movie. I forget what they're called. Uh, but he was in Toronto when we were struggling Kids in the Hall. He was um, uh, in the early '80s. He was a roommate with me and two other guys that were. Two of the 13 kids in the hall who you don't know, Gary and Frank. So they became very successful writers. And somebody ended up knowing somebody on Family Guy. So, you know, you've got, you know, one degree of separation from Seth MacFarlane. Maybe there's yeah, a yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Ricky. Ricky something. He wrote the movie about uh, the jackass guy was in about uh, pretending to be someone that could be in the Special Olympics. Oh, that. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's a better writer than that, though. Well, you got to put money on the table, right? Or money. Not that I've ever seen the movie and he's a friend, so I'm being horrible. Is this really the most popular podcast in the world? Well, with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, that's for sure. There's, I only, there's only one. Yeah, there's only one. Or, then you're number one. Yes, exactly. we got a ton of fans on GeoCities. Oh, <laughs> I've heard of that. MySpace. I miss MySpace. Yeah, I was just getting into MySpace when it died. I was just beginning to understand that. So the Rivoli, December 13th, you're going to be back in the big smoke. Yes, yeah, yeah, two shows. Um, uh, even if only uh, 12 people come the second, I'm still doing it, so uh, come. Come see the empty show. That'll be more fun. Kevin McDonald is 113th of Kids in the Hall. He'll be at the Rivoli, yeah. December 13th. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. This was so relaxing. I got really boring in the last seven minutes. I'm proud of that. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Or stream us live at geeksandbeats.com. Support the show on Patreon and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for a daily dose of the world's most popular podcasts with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.